Welcome to Fertility Now. I am thrilled to have Dr. Matt Wozniczer on today's episode. Dr. Wozniczer is a board-certified urologist and reproductive urologist. Matt completed his fellowship in male reproductive medicine and surgery at the New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell Medical Center, one of the greatest centers in the country. He specializes in men fertility and men's health. So Dr. Wozniczer often helps my male patients improve and maximize sperm counts and health. So remember everyone, family building is our goal. I feel it's a great time in the evolution of fertility now to talk about male reproduction. For my patients who have male issues and for my patients who have male partners, this discussion will be really valuable. So hey, Dr. Wozniczer, what's happening? Uh, hey, Spencer, how, Dr. Richland, how are you? Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me here today. Uh, it's a pleasure. So remember, all of us, 15% of couples are affected by infertility. And you know what? Men contribute to this 20 to 50% of the time. So how I run, what I do is that our male, female couples who are trying to get pregnant, I evaluate them both at the same time because we could have a male issue, a female issue, and basically patients don't want to waste their time. So let's go to the basics, Dr. W. What's going on here with high-level stuff on how is sperm produced in the male reproductive tract. Let's give our patients a little bit of, of information on male. Sure. Um, so sperm production, otherwise called spermatogenesis, um, involves the development of these sperm cells um, within, the, within the testicle. Um, the early sperm cells have a fancy name, spermatogonia, and they're derived from stem cells, and they're produced in the testicle. Um, in something called seminiferous tubules, which is a part, which is basically the content of the testicle. Okay. Um, they have some nurturing cells um, called Sertoli cells that support and nourish the immature sperm cells to bring them up to maturity. Um, and they go from the outside of these Sertoli of the um, seminiferous tubules all the way to the inside of the central channel. And once they've matured uh, there, they're stored in the epididymis, which is um, a portion of the male reproductive tract behind or on the side of the testis um, until they're ready to, to leave the male body. Um, and what's interesting is that these immature germ cells take about up to 74 days approximately to reach their final maturation. And right. also important is that testosterone, which is the male hormone, is a key foundation for this whole process. It's, it's interesting because, like you said, a sperm takes about three months to develop. Um, and men are always making new sperm, which is really cool. Yes. So any change that's made, and we'll get to this later, any change that's made in the lifestyle or any risk factor for a man um, can manifest or show itself uh, in as short as uh, even three months. Right. And what I tell my, my lady patients is that they're born with all their eggs for a lifetime. So a big deal in women is their age um, with regard to their egg quality. But men, you know, we're very different. We're different organisms and they're always making new sperm up until potentially when they pass. You agree? Absolutely. So we often have our patients do and our couples do a sperm count. Um, what what is a normal sperm count to you? Yeah, so the normal sperm count, um, we look, you know, it's it reflects testicular sperm production, um, and that includes um, a look at both the semen volume, um, the pH uh, or the acidity or or how basic uh, the semen is, sperm number. Um, as well as that's the concentration or count, as well right. as the movement and, and the shape. And all of these are looked at in relation to reference criteria. 
And uh, any abnormality, especially more than one, indicates the need for a particular workup with a male reproductive urologist. Right. So that's what, you know, we have our patients do is we tell them, I tell my patients, you know, no intercourse for three days, make a sample and we'll evaluate in less than an hour and we'll kind of see what's up with your account. And, you know, like you kind of alluded to, the samples in men are variable. And if we don't have a great count, we'll often repeat it, you know, to see where we are. Because you agree, men's counts can kind of be very variable and go up and down day to day. Absolutely. They fluctuate day to day in in every man um, significantly. Right. So a lot of times, you know, the concept is, does my semen analysis predict if you're fertile or not? And, you know, it, it doesn't always necessarily, but it gives us some basic, you know, guidelines to where they're at. Absolutely. You know? it's, it's a window. It's a window and an initial look um, and helps guide the need for additional workup. Yeah. So when my patients, for example, are having intercourse, we know that the vagina is acidic and that um, a lot of sperm can can die in there before it goes through the cervix, the uterus, and into the fallopian tube. So we want our men to have, you know, a sufficient count to help their their partners become pregnant. So when when I see low sperm counts, and I like we talked about, I repeat them twice. Um, my patients are referred to you. And how I feel it is that it's very important for our men to be referred to a male reproductive urologist. This is a very unique, you and I are both fellowship trained physicians, and it's very important that we really help our patients and, and give them the best opportunity to succeed. Um, so when are you seeing patients and what type patients are being referred to in your practice? What are you seeing? Right. So a lot. The gateway to to um, our practice is often the semen analysis. Um, it can include obviously lower sperm quality. That can be the number, the movement, or the shape. It can be no sperm in the ejaculate, called azospermia. It can include other sperm functional issues that have been noted, um, or it can include um, male sexual dysfunction. So literally a right. difficulty or lack of ejaculation. So the patency of the male reproductive tract is important. You can have great findings, but if they don't get out of the body, um, then that's obviously an issue um, right. for reproduction. So, you know, what I'll tell my patients off, often is when their count slows, you know, I'm going to send you to Dr. Wozenser because, you know, he's going to be a detective. And they'll ask me, so what is he looking for? What is he doing? Um, and I'll give them, you know, oh, he's going to talk to you, history, physical, kind of go through your reproductive history and your medical history and medications you take and all this and that to try to figure out, you know, why is your count, why is your count low? And, you know, can we improve it? And if we can prove it, a lot of times our couples can have regular intercourse. If we can't improve it, well, we have little tricks that we can play and in different ways we can get into advanced reproduction. Um, you know, we talked about primary and secondary infertility, primary male infertility as a man who's never um, initiated pregnancy and secondary um, refers to a couple when the, the couple had a pregnancy in the past, but is not initiating a second pregnancy. Do you see that often in men or do you think it's mostly on the male side? Kind of an interesting question. Yeah, um, we see it uh, both both ways. We we see it, um, you know, certainly um, a fair number of men who have probably not changed over time. Uh, they've always had a low or, or or zero sperm count, and we do see the influence of, for example, varicocele, which are dilated veins that create heat around the testicle, 
leading to a decline in sperm quality over time, um, which can create um, a secondary situation, secondary fertility. Right. So they got pregnant in the past, but maybe they were low back then, or maybe over time their count's going lower. Now we're catching them not getting pregnant for a second time. On, on your reproductive history in your men, when you kind of first meet them, what are you looking for? So we, we look carefully at their medical history. We're looking for a history of um, the testicles not being descended as a child or even into uh, early adulthood called cryptorchidism. We look for chemo, uh, chemotherapy history, uh, delayed puberty. So the time when the voice changes and they start shaving to be late. Um, environmental exposures of other types, including pesticides. Um, the history of uh, chlamydia or gonorrhea or other sexually transmitted disease or pelvic trauma, um, chronic inflammatory conditions such as diabetes uh, or autoimmune conditions. Any, any chronic inflammatory condition can lower testosterone in men. Um, in addition, we look for um, the history of obesity, um, sleep apnea, um, history of chronic narcotic use right, um, or anabolic steroid use, um, as well as a family history of fertility issues. So those those are a, a lot of interesting things. So on your evaluation, you go through all those diabetes and, and not being healthy are really, really, really big. Surgically, um, some of our patients have had surgeries. And, and what are you seeing on a surgical history? What What's the biggest thing you see? Yeah. So either um, a history of pelvic or retroperitoneal surgery, like um, something like um, for testicular cancer, um, inguinal hernia repair, where there can be blockage of the vas deferens. Um, history of a varicocele or repair, which is, again, the dilated veins around the testicle. History of vasectomy. The varicocele is interesting. Um, if, if I said to you, how would you, do you feel varicoceles decrease sperm counts? Do you think they need to be repaired? I hate to throw this question at you, but what's your in general feeling about that? Absolutely. So if there's a history of um, impaired sperm quality and a significant varicocele on exam, there's definite data to indicate that repair can Im improve those parameters of the semen quality. The more significant the varicocele, like on a grading system that we have right. um, on exam uh, or on and or on ultrasound, the more um, likely it is that we'll have an improvement in parameters. Um, in addition, if the testosterone is low, and there is a varicocele that's significant, that by repairing the varicocele microsurgically, um, we can improve the testosterone. And that's been shown in numerous studies. Right, to increase counts. Medication-wise, any, any medications that you're seeing your men using that are dropping their counts that you want them to know about or us to know about? Sure. Um, so finasteride, otherwise known as right. Propecia for hair growth is a common one. That has been shown to potentially um, negatively affect the semen parameters, um, along with certain antibiotics, um, something called alpha blockers, which can affect ejaculation. So men sometimes take um, Flomax um, if they have some difficulty urinating, um, for example. Um, but alpha blockers, they can cause ejaculation issues so that the sperm doesn't get, they do not get out of the body. Um, and then blood pressure medications are common causes of erectile issues and other so if, if, if a man's using Propecia, do you tell him to stop it for three months and see if his count gets better? We would. Oh, absolutely. So I, I think one of the interesting things we're, we're touching on, and one of the big messages we want everyone to hear is that, you know, 
your sperm count and your and your male and male reproduction is really kind of a window into your general health. And when someone like me sees a lower sperm count in a male, I always think about, you know, it's an, a really an opportunity to help our men and mm-hmm. kind of make sure we're not missing anything. Um, do you feel the same way on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel it's absolutely a window um, into their general health. And it's definitely a way that we can lead to other um, avenues. It's a cornerstone in management and it leads to, to alternate and additional ways to manage the health of men. Right. So with regard to their lifestyle and kind of let's talk, you know, getting our men's counts better. So BMI and diet is, is a big deal. A healthy diet is really important to, and to male reproduction. What are you seeing in diet? Are you telling your patients to eat differently? Absolutely. Um, so we advocate a healthy diet, high in fruits and vegetables, low in processed foods. Um, we often advocate um, also weight weight loss in general. If someone is overweight or has an elevated BMI or body mass index, um, we often advocate weight loss. This can help, and it, it's actually so. Some of the issues associated with elevated weight or BMI are reversible with weight loss, um, especially significant weight loss. Right. Um, because again, there is this opposite relationship between the higher the 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 weight or the body mass index, um, the lower the fertility quality potentially. Right. That's we see that also in our women is the higher the BMI, the lower the chance of getting pregnant potentially, and the higher chance of pregnancy loss. Yep. And, so and it's a it's a win win. Absolutely, and interestingly, like the testosterone in men who are overweight or obese can be lower, and the estradiol can be elevated, and that ratio of testosterone to estradiol, which is the female hormone, but men do have it in in low right. lower numbers. Uh, that ratio is important, and it can be uh, impacted by being overweight or obese. Also, we're seeing a lot of our patients who are smoking, vaping, doing anabolic steroids and different toxins. Um, it's interesting, um, smoking. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing in your, in your men who are smoking with regard to their counts? Absolutely. So smoking is known to be an independent risk factor for reduced semen volume, concentration of sperm, movement of sperm, again, motility, and sperm shape. Um, so absolutely, it's an, a major impact. Uh, <laughs> So we're trying to get our patients to to decrease or stop smoking. Um, also, you know, can I drink alcohol if you're a man? Is that is is drinking um, socially going to tr- decrease their count much, or is that maybe not a, a big deal? Right. So that's a, a common question. I think certainly excess is not not ideal um, to the point of any intoxication or anything like this. Um, we don't have an exact number of drinks that are okay per week, but I say moderation or minimize. Yeah, that's what I tell uh, tell my patients also. Interesting, we're seeing men who are using steroids, and they're either using steroids for bodybuilding to and libido to feel better and to kind of change their body habitus. A lot of times, those steroids can drop or decrease or eliminate sperm production. Absolutely, give us a little a little comment on that. So we'll often see, and um, this is quite a common. Um, phenomenon or, or scenario where we'll see a man who's been taking or has taken anabolic steroids or something that they that they may not consider anabolic steroids, but over the counter or internet uh, purchased uh, right. substances or um, supplements as, as they're commonly known. Um, and these will shut down the pituitary axis, LHFSH, which are the, just like in a woman, in a man, they, they drive the testicle to make sperm and testosterone. They go to zero 
with any of these exogenous or extra outside the body testosterone supplements, which are basically giving the male hormone to a man and the body goes offline. Right. Often I see my patients who've been given steroids by other physicians and they didn't realize that those medications were actually going to make them have low or no sperm count. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that includes the FDA approved testosterone replacement products. Many of them will also shut down uh, sperm production as well as the body's natural testosterone production from the testicles. So shout out to our men. If you're doing that, you know, realize what's happening and, and see your reproductive urologist and uh, get a sperm count if you're trying to get pregnant. Another area that's really dear to me is, is you know, we're talking about sperm counts and low sperm counts that they can really tip us off to tip us off to other medical conditions um, that patients can potentially have. So, you know, we see low sperm counts with associated cancers and, and low sperm counts with hypertension, diabetes, cardiac disease, peripheral vascular disease. Any of those you want to shout out and comment about? Um, sure, absolutely. Um, so diabetes uh, is, is very, we see it commonly. Um, any, again, any of these conditions that create an inflammatory state or are related to an inflammatory state, um, can lower testosterone. And again, male testosterone, the male hormone, is a foundation for normal sperm production. Um, so that's that's quite common. But any um, of these comorbidities, there have been studies that have shown, meaning other illnesses have been shown to be associated with declining sperm parameters. And there are more and more studies uh, recently in the last few years showing that male for infertility is certainly a tip-off or a window to look at men further um, and to I, where you can identify some of these issues or where, where men are at increased risk. Right. So I talk to all my OBGYN residents who are with me and tell them, listen, when you're in practice and you see a male or you do a semen analysis on one of your, your patients and that sperm count is low, what's so important is to have them evaluated by a reproductive urologist to make sure, well, could there be something else going on? That gentleman needs a full evaluation with someone like you to make sure we're not missing something. So it's like an opportunity. And we kind of already talked about that. Absolutely. So, you know, low sperm counts we talked about so far interesting that we have a couple other reasons for low sperm counts. We have genetic causes, um, and I know you're going to touch on those, um, low testosterone and, and maybe in, uh, advancing age. The genetic causes of low sperm counts are interesting. A lot of times I see couples come in, they're trying to get pregnant. They haven't. They've been trying six months to a year. They do sperm count, and all of a sudden we find out that our our male partner has no sperm, which is really, really stressful for our patients. And that's when you and I have to give them a lot of support, a lot of love, because their dream is to family build. And all of a sudden they find out their count is low um, and they're caught off guard and they have no, they, 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 it's really, it's really stressful. Genetic causes of low counts are interesting. Um, give me a little bit of how you're seeing that in your practice. Sure. Sure. So there are two um, there are two ways that we look at um, the the lower counts um, in terms of the azospermia. We look at that in terms of blockage or not blocked. Um, and if someone is blocked, a genetic cause is uh, commonly cystic fibrosis uh, mutation. So CFTR is the is the acronym for that, but um, for the gene. But the mutation there um, that can lead to absence uh, bilateral absence. Um, of the vast deference, which is the sperm transport tube. Um, and when those are not present, 
that can lead to a blocked state, meaning that the sperm do not are produced in the testis. They are produced, but they do not escape. They do not leave the body. Right. Um, so that's one one area, and we can harvest harvest those, and we'll get into that a little bit later. That's available to to extract sperm from in that situation. Um, and then uh, two other causes of non-obstructive azoospermia, meaning no blockage, so production issue, the engine's not functioning well, meaning the testis is not functioning well, um, are Kleinfelter syndrome, which is an, a genetic condition where there's an extra X chromosome present in a male's genetic code with um, tiny or smaller atrophic testicles, lower testosterone production, and overall impaired fertility um, and testicular function. Right. Due to some of the cells that we mentioned before, the nurturing cells and the testosterone producing cells within the testicle. Um, and this can lead, have other ramifications with the patient. And sometimes we are the first line of diagnosis based on the the, the, zero, the azospermia that occurs. And we, we then have patients see other specialists as well to further evaluate and, and manage uh, the condition. Um, the other area is Y chromosome microdeletions, which is where a piece of the male chromosome, so every male... Uh, a typical male would be 46 chromosomes, an X and a Y chromosome. The Y chromosome is the quote-unquote male chromosome. And uh, several decades ago, uh, it was recognized by numerous scientists um, in, the, in the research lab that a piece of the Y chromosome can be missing. Um, and if a piece of that Y chromosome is missing in a certain place, that can lead to a very low or zero sperm count. And this this finding of a Y chromosome microdeletion has has um, consequences. Uh, in some cases, it's known that sperm cannot be extracted, and right. there is unfortunately not a solution at this time. Um, and in some cases, depending on the piece that's missing, there is a possibility of extracting or identifying sperm. Right. So it's interesting how you put it. It's kind of like the engine. So in the CF mutation where there's a blockage or when a man's had a vasectomy, someone like you can harvest sperm and we do really, really well. In the other two, in Kleinfelter syndrome and with the Y deletion, like you said, sometimes we get sperm, sometimes we don't. Don't Sometimes those men need donor sperm. Is that, is that kind of how you see it also? That's true. In the non-obstructive azeospermia setting, meaning the poor production, poor engine function, the overall average of achieve of identifying sperm from extraction about 50 to 55 percent success rate um, in terms of identifying sperm on average so there's a there's a range there but yes if it's it, there's a chance a much higher chance that it it cannot it may not be successful than in the block state the block state has a higher success rate right and a lot of patients who see you who have those diagnoses that's what they're wondering about and that's what i tell them i say listen ask him what the chance that that he's going to find sperm in those non-obstructive situations like what you said the engine's not working well what's the chance of of us getting sperm and we'll talk later on a sperm retrieval with you so that we can do ivf and put egg and sperm together in the lab um we talked about low low sperm counts due to testosterone you know, we're gonna. The last one we're gonna touch on that you were thinking about was advancing age. So as men get older, they have reduced fertility. Um, you, you're seeing that a lot, and also there we're seeing as men go, get older, potentially higher chance of having an issue with offspring with regard to their genetics. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when 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 you have a man who has a low sperm count or no sperm that you've noted on a couple semen analysis. Where do you go from there? What's your move? Yeah. So when we have um, an older man with lower or, or no sperm, obviously it's, it's similar workup and similar management to regardless of the age. Yeah. Um, we don't 
stop anyone or, or anything like this, but we would counsel them that there are these increased risks, as you mentioned, potentially, um, which have again come to come to light in through research in the last in the last decade or so. Um, more and more research indicating that there are these increased risks. Um, as long as the patient and the couple are counseled um, regarding these possible genetic or epigenetic risks to the right. offspring, um, there are some conflicting results. So we can't say you absolutely will will or won't have this this issue or that issue. But as long we like to make the couples aware that as age is increasing in on the paternal side, the the, the male side, this can lead to some potential increased risks. Right. So I tell my patients when you're going to go see you that you're going to do, you know, history, physical, check out some hormones and kind of start into the detective work kind of at a high level. When a gentleman comes to see you, what are you looking for in, in their blood work on their physical, in their history, kind of at a high level? Absolutely. So we do, we take a comprehensive history. We're looking for their reproductive history. So um, have have they had a child before? Are they unable to have a child um, throughout their entire uh, existence? Um, first thing. Second thing is the all the historical things that we mentioned. Right. Um, you know, in terms of risk factors, uh, medical issues, um, and environmental or toxin exposures, things like this. Um, and in addition, um, other things that we look at uh, would be the blood work um, and their hormone panel. So this is very important. We've alluded to testosterone and estradiol throughout uh, earlier as we were speaking. Um, and these, along with the other hormone panel, including prolactin um, and LHFSH and other, other labs, are very important in, in creating a, a picture of what's going on inside the testicle, um, especially in the setting of azospermia, where we really can't assess the sperm. Right. Um, this gives us a window. For example, if the FSH is elevated, one of those numbers, um, one of those labs, uh, that fuel, if that's elevated, indicates possible engine trouble, probably right. the testicle. Um, so that that's an example there of how we use that. And then if the testosterone is on the lower side, sometimes we, we, offer, we often do raise that um, using special fertility sparing or medications that are okay or good for boosting fertility. Um, and in addition, we, we look at uh, imaging in some cases, in many cases, a squirrel ultrasound. Right. So they do all that with you. And, and, and for me, and probably for you, is that, you know, are there treatments, you know, that we can help improve their count? Because if we can improve their count above, you know, some basic numbers. So, you know, normal sperm count at least, you know, 15 million per ml, 1.5 cc's, and let's say 40% sperm moving you know, and we can get them up into that range or maybe higher, they, they can go back to trying timed intercourse. Mm -hmm. If not, then sometimes we'll do artificial insemination. We'll get into IVF. And I know a lot of our couples are kind of borderline with their counts and they kind of want to see if we can raise it up um, to help them get pregnant on their own or do insemination or IVF. You kind of commented quickly about medications. A lot of our patients are on different medications and or supplements um, and are doing some lifestyle modifications with you. Do you feel that those medications and supplements increase their counts? What, do you, what are you seeing in, in your experience over time with these men? Mm -hmm. um, so certainly, so medications such as clomiphene, citrate, um, or HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin, right. um, or aromatase inhibitors such as anastrozole, they do increase endogenous testosterone levels um, 
and we try to make those levels as close to normal or or um, the the Yuganadal, meaning the normal range levels, as possible. It's not always possible, but in many cases it is. Um, when we do that, there is uh, not definitive evidence uh, showing that these absolutely uh, improve across the board the right. same quality, uh, especially before um, IUI or IVF. But in in our experience, they do in some cases help the sperm quality, um, and certainly to raise the testosterone, the endogenous or in the bodies of testosterone to a normal level before um, embarking on fertility man further fertility management. Um, makes sense um, in that testosterone, again, is a foundation for sperm production right. and normal sperm production. Now, these, it is important to note that these medications are, are not FDA approved for men. Um, they are um, for women. Um, and However, safety data and many peer-reviewed medical studies have shown their safety and have been used for decades by male reproductive uh, urologists in the United States. Um, it's a matter more of they're used at lower doses than in women, and it's a matter of semantics. But they are safe and well tolerated uh, in the experience of the male reproductive doctors in the United States. Yep. So, our men are trying those medications to try boost their counts, like you said, um, and a lot of my patients are are doing that, and they're doing their lifestyle modifications, weight loss, diet. You know, they're stopping exposure, smoking. They're getting better sleep. They're hydrating. And what's nice is 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 if their count improves to normal parameters, then our, our couples are trying on their own. Sometimes, you know, they don't. Um, and at times, one of the things we do on my side of the tables, we do artificial insemination. So when we do artificial insemination, my patients who are listening know is, you know, if we have one of our partners whose count is, let's say, below 15 million on an ejaculate, we can do an insemination. And what that's all about is, is, is timing um, placing sperm into the uterine cavity with our patient's menstrual cycle. And what we'll do is, is we will wash the sample that our gentlemen have. So they'll produce an ejaculate. We'll wash the sample and we'd like to have at least 5 million total modal sperm. So some of our men whose counts are lower, but at the time of IOI and the time of wash, we can have at least 5 million, maybe 10 million modal sperm. We can be successful. And what we'll do in that situation is we'll use a speculum. We'll place the thin catheter through the cervix into the middle of the uterine cavity, place the sperm um, that's been washed and processed, and the sperm will go to the fallopian tube, meet the egg, which was picked up by the end of the fallopian tube, and and uh, get, some, get some pregnancy going on. Um, those men... Um, Again, we'd like at least 5 million modal sperm, um, and we can be very successful. And a lot of times we'll try clomiphene or, or Femara and have our, have our women make a couple extra follicles, a couple extra eggs, trigger ovulation. And at the right perfect time, we will place the sperm sample right into the uterus. And the reason why we do that is if, if his count is low, we can wash it, process it, put it really really close to the fallopian tube in the middle of the uterine cavity and avoid the vagina where it's acidic, where they don't get great, uh, um, you know, sperm transport because their count is low, lower. So sometimes we could pull it off that way. Um, a lot of our patients are getting pregnant with IUI, you know, who have lower sperm counts by, by doing an insemination, but sometimes they don't and they need, they need more. Um, so again, um, the last part is that sometimes our patients are having trouble 
you know, having intercourse and having intercourse is a little bit difficult for them. And at times for them, the male has a good count on ejaculate, but we'll have to do an insemination to get sperm and egg close together. So, and that's completely fine. We see patients like that. Um, any last comments, Dr. Wozniak, as we end this first episode? Um, sure. Uh, I would say the only other thing we do in addition, if, if a count is, nor- is in the normal range or not, or the testosterone is normal in a man, we will sometimes offer um, antioxidant vitamins. Um, and those um, also have lower quality evidence. They don't have this um, very large studies or perfect studies supporting them. Um, but some of them, such as CoQ10, COQ10 as an example, um, have been shown that they may lead to increased uh, pregnancy and live birth rates, um, in, you know, ultimately, um, in some small studies, um, in some situations. So while we need additional high-quality evidence for these antioxidant vitamins, they are a uh, more straightforward and easier way for many of our patients to start um, to try to improve their semen quality uh, prior to IUI or, or even IVF. Yeah. So we're also having our patients do CoQ10. And like you said, there's some, some smaller studies, but some good studies to show maybe better egg quality with CoQ10. Um, it's involved with the, um, you know, giving more energy to the egg. And so when the egg splits, maybe the egg splits uh, better. When the 23 pairs of chromosomes split, we get a better split. We get kind of more euploid eggs and, and higher pregnancy rates. So our patients, our lady patients are doing their prenatal vitamins because they're great for folic acid and they're doing their CoQ10. And your men, what is your ultimate um, supplements you would want them to be on? So we, there are many um, that have some data and some have more data. Um, the, the ones, the antioxidants that we typically recommend include this, the CoQ10 um, and L-carnitine. Right. That, that one has some reasonable, more reasonable data as well. Um, sometimes uh, lycopene we recommend. Okay. Um, and there, there are others. Zinc is, is, is common. Um, or sometimes considered. Um, so there, there are many, um, and there's no right or wrong answer necessarily with the antioxidants, but we go on the best data we have available. So you would do antioxidants, and, and then after three months or after the sperm life cycle, you could potentially see an improvement. That's great. Okay, everyone. So I want to thank Dr. Wassenser for being on today. On the next episode, Dr. Wozinser and myself are going to take a really a deeper dive, and we're going to talk about high-tech male fertility treatments. Remember, you can follow Dr. Wozinser on Twitter at drmswozinser, W-O-S-N-I-T-Z-E-R, and check out his website, malereproduction.org. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Spencer Richland, Facebook, and Pinterest, Please feel free to email me with any questions or suggestions. I'd love to hear from you guys. My email is fertilitynow1 at gmail.com.